The Pope's army has become cruel, feared by all, and we look back again at the death of Huss and the life of a man who was present when he died. While we're covering the Inquisitions right now, and we have left the Crusades behind, at this point in history, we need to look at one battle that took place and that changed Europe forever. The Teutonic Knights had been founded at the start of the Crusades. They were a hospital order. In fact, they were called the Order of the Hospital of St. Mary the Virgin. However, over the time of the Crusades, they had turned into an army force not to be reckoned with. They were powerful and often extremely cruel. They fought with a flag of a black cross, and the symbol brought fear on anyone who was in the crosshairs. And Poland was in the crosshairs. Several times a year, they would attack Poland. The king of Poland, Yaya Yalo, was frustrated with the constant attacks by the knights, who claimed they were fighting for Jesus Christ. So Yaya Yalo converted to Christianity to keep the knights at bay. Of course, this is not what it means to convert to Christianity. To be a Christian means to accept the fact that you are a sinner and can do nothing to save yourself from sin, and to believe that Jesus is God and that he died and rose again, and to call on him to forgive your sins. It does not mean saying you're a Christian so that knights stop attacking your border. So we can see by this point in history, the idea of Christianity has become a political one. Kings were claiming the religion for political reasons, and others were fighting wars under the religion. But that's what it had become, just one more religion. And it didn't matter anyway. The knights didn't stop attacking Poland because they didn't really care if he was a Christian. They wanted his land. You see, Yaya Yellow had once called on the knights for help with a promise that if they helped him, he would give them land. He never gave them the land he promised, and now they were coming for it. So the king had a meeting with his brother, who was a grand duke. They met in a church and came up with a plan to fight the knights and end their reign of terror once and for all. It took a year, but the men put together an army of 39,000 soldiers. The knights had an army of 27,000. Imagine it's the year 1410, July 15th. You live in Tannenberg. You're a mother, quickly gathering your children, handing some pots, some blankets, and the older kids are carrying the younger ones on their backs. Your husband will be fighting, and your father-in-law will have to come with you. He's slower than even the youngest of your children, and you hope he won't hold the family back. You form a line with your family, the oldest at the front and you're at the back, to make sure no one's left behind. Hurry, children, we must go. As you're fleeing the town, so is everyone else. The girls you grew up with all hurrying their own family out of town. You want to turn around for one more look at your home, but you won't allow yourself. Crying won't help. As your family travels the road with the other refugees, you hear the sound of horses and everyone pushes to one side of the road. As soldiers from the king ride by on their horses, you see there's so many of them. You look at your six-year-old son who is staring with his eyes so wide. You're not sure what he's thinking. This was the scene as all the women, children, and elderly fled the city that day. The battle at Tannenberg would be the battle that changed Europe forever. The refugees had fled Tannenberg and the battle started. 
The two armies came at each other strong, and the battle lasted the whole day. Throughout the day, neither side could tell if they were winning or losing. Dead bodies lay everywhere. Wounded men were left to die in the dirt. It was perhaps the bloodiest, most gory battle that Poland has ever seen in its history. The refugees had set up a little camp area and were waiting for news. Their fathers, sons, husbands were fighting to save their land. As the sun set and the day ended, there was still no news. Then, finally, the news came. The knights had retreated. Poland had won. 8,000 knights had died. The Grand Master of the Knights had died. And more than 14,000 had been taken as prisoners. Poland had won. The news of the Battle of Tannenberg spread quickly. Poland had stood firm against the Knights and refused to give up land and won. Suddenly, the Knights were an army that could be defeated. Poland would never again fight the Knights. That day ended the constant attacks by the army. But more than that, it was the beginning of the end of the Knights' order altogether. By the time the Protestant Reformation started, the Knights had lost their center of operation and the respect of the people. They went back to their original order of being nurses. It wasn't, however, until 1929, almost 100 years ago, that the Pope officially recognized them as a religious order and no longer a fighting force. Five years after this battle, we have the story of Jerome. Jerome had lost his closest friend, John Hus. You see, John Hus had been summoned to the Council of Constance. The council had been called by the king because, well, there was three popes, all claiming to be the head of the church. This had been going on for 33 years, and the king wanted it taken care of once and for all. The town was flooded with Christians from all over Europe. Over 18,000 men came, and that's not all. Around 1,500 prostitutes showed up in town too. It was basically a hot mess. That many men, all angry and looking for a fight. One of the popes, Pope John, knew he was going to be in trouble, so he dressed up like a groom and escaped town. Hus was one that had been asked to come. He'd been promised a safe passage. Hus presented his beliefs and reforms he felt the church needed to make. The church officials were not happy. They eventually took Hus and burned him at the stake. Jerome had begged Hus not to go, but Hus had refused to listen. Jerome had secretly followed Hus, and as he learned that Hus was to be killed by burning at the stake, Jerome had tried to find a way to save his friend. He was desperate, but as he looked for anyone that was willing to help, he soon found the whole crowd of 18,000 plus men that were crowded into the city were looking for death. They wanted to kill someone. In fact, if they could find more people to kill, they would. Jerome soon learned that if he identified himself in the town, he would be burnt right next to Hus. Jerome became fearful of the crowds. He ran and hid in a nearby town. In fear, Jerome decided to head back home without his friend Hus. He was traveling home when he was seized. He was taken and locked in a tower. Jerome was crippled with fear. Then his legs were locked into stocks. He could not move, roll over, lay down, he was left in this condition for days, no breaks to go to the bathroom, no sleep. While locked in the tower, he could hear the chanting and jeering 
as his friend Huss was being paraded through the town to the place where he would be burned alive. When the guards came for Jerome, he recanted all his teachings. He was not released, however, and forced to stay in the tower. You can hear the story of Huss in more details in the episode Light in the Darkness. In the end, Pope John was found guilty of stealing, lying, and paganism. He was captured, but he wasn't burnt at the stake. Instead, he was locked up for a few years. Jerome was also left locked in the tower for one full year. Finally, they had a council to discuss what to do with Jerome. This time, Jerome spoke. You see, Jerome had studied at Oxford. He had traveled and preached in Paris, Jerusalem, Vienna, Russia, Hungary. He had seen the devastation of the indulgences on the people all across Europe. In the push for crusades, they had taken money from the poor, promising them eternal life if they gave money. Jerome could not stand for that. The church could not sell heaven. Eternal life had already been purchased. With the blood of Jesus Christ, it was not for sale. The council then took Jerome, and in 1416, he was paraded through the streets, just as his friend Huss had been. The fear that had crippled Jerome was gone, and God gave him the peace that could not be understood. As he walked through the streets, he sang hymns of praise to God. The church officials had a paper hat for him to wear. This hat became the symbol throughout the inquisitions of the men headed to be burned. It became known as the dunce hat, and yes, that is where the dunce hat started. When the hat was placed on his head, Jerome said, Our Lord Jesus Christ, when he suffered death for me, a most miserable sinner, did wearing a crown of thorns upon his head, and I, for his sake, will wear this adorning of blasphemy. Jerome did not die quickly. It took a long time for him to die. Some historians say he burned for 45 minutes before eventually dying. As we continue to study the Inquisition, in our next episode, we're going to talk about the women who were burned at the stake and the hunt for witches. As we look through this dark time in church history, I'm reminded of the importance that the church never forget to teach salvation by grace through faith alone. We can never stop preaching the truth. We cannot bend to the society around us. Culture cannot dictate what we teach. And we cannot be crippled by fear. Thank you for listening today. To hear more podcasts, watch some great videos, or read blogs, head over to laureliesiemens.com. We have many more podcasts, Bible studies, and educational tools. To help keep all these resources free to the public, You can support the podcast by subscribing, sharing, leaving a review, or donating to our donation page. See you next week.